Today's program brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. That's EscapeMaker.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 22nd. This is the 61st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are a talented chef and photographer duo who have collaborated on a new book. But before I introduce them further, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to have a POV, which is your point of view. Know what you stand for and stick with it. You can be influential. You can't be influential and a leader unless you know first what you believe in and own it. So take the time to understand your voice and perspective. Your point of view matters. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really excited to have my guests here. They are Justin Warner, a self-taught cook who is the chef and owner of Do or Dine, an eclectic bedside eatery that he built from the ground up and is known for foie gras donuts, among other dishes. Justin is a part of the Food Network family as the winner of the eighth season of Food Network Star, and with his own series entitled Rebel Eats and a web series called Foodie Call. My second guest is Daniel Krieger, a Brooklyn-based photographer who focuses on food and photography, on food photography, excuse me. Daniel regularly shoots for the New York Times, Eater.com, Food and Wine, Punch, and more. He has photographed several books on food and cocktails, and he also shoots weddings. Daniel has collaborated with Justin on his first cookbook, The Laws of Cooking and How to Break Them. So welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Well, I, I'm honored to have you guys out here. You're, you are, you're quite the duo, and this book sounds really interesting. I, I, I want to dive into it, but before we do, let's start out with your background, because... Justin, do you remember how we met? <laughs> I think I was probably staggering around at one of these uh, uh, festivals or something, and I probably had like one ounce of food and two ounces of beverage, uh, maybe. I don't know. I feel like that's it. Sort of. Was it in Aspen? Oh, in Aspen. Gaspen. And you were the wine wrapper. I think in my <laughs> notes, as my context, I put how I met people, and I had I have wine wrappers still in there. Well, you got to do what you got to do to break in, you know? And <laughs> I, I knew I needed to break in. I didn't know that wine wrapping was going to be the the ticket to success, but uh, yeah, sure enough, that's, that's where it all began. Before that, I was just a lowly waiter. Yeah, so you were a waiter with Danny Myers group. Yeah, totally right? at the modern. I was a captain, so not really a lowly waiter. It's kind of a boss. That's like the highest level of waiter. Yeah, in a serious restaurant group. Yeah. But, you know, that's no wine wrapper. No, no, but you were, I remember you did the, the seminar with uh, Belinda Chang, and it was very cool and different and stood out, kind of like your whole career, right? Yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe. You know, I guess uh, it's like your PR tip, you know. You, if you see something and you believe in it and you know that it, it's you and it's, it's speaking to you and, and you are able to speak on it, then you probably should be doing that. Yeah. And rapping about wine at the time was true, what I was into. True, I don't know if you still rap, but... Eh, here and there, you know. <laughs> now people pay. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. And Daniel, did you ever do wine rapping? I did not. I can't rap at all. Actually, but that's one of the first uh, things that came... First ways that Justin came onto my radar was uh, he did... I don't know if it was that specific one, but it was, I think, more of a food rap. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was something on Eater... And it was him rapping, and I was actually really impressed with just you know the what, what he did because I I really can't do that, and I was like wow, and I had met him a couple times and kind of felt 
there was just something about him. I'm like, this guy's going to be like a star. Like he just has that presence and, you know, kind of wit about him. And but that was one of the f- first things that I remember about him actually was <laughs> was the rapping because I had never eaten at the modern, so I never got a chance to uh, to see his captain skills. Yeah, well, you know, it's just carving duct table side and taking orders. You know? <laughs> but you know, when you're taking orders, when like you're doing Kofi it, Anon, when you're doing it at a Danny Meyer restaurant, though, you need to have a pretty high level of skill. Yeah, some poise, you know, here and there. <laughs> but I, anybody could do it, you know. But I remember you came uh, once we opened Do or Dine. Uh, Eater did a a feature on like gatekeepers, and I think you shot me for that. Yeah, that was right. And and we did the uh, you were holding the Rolling Rock. Yeah, the beer Rolling can. Rock beer can so, with the green green hoodie and an Incredible Hulk hat. He, he's the only <laughs> chef slash restaurateur that I think I've ever photographed with a, holding a Rolling Rock beer can. But it actually was kind of a cool photo, and I, and I was pretty excited about that. And I I dug the vibe of the restaurant, and, and then because of that shoot and and hanging out with him there. I uh, I went back and ate like probably a week or two later and had a really great experience. So yeah, I've been out there once. I I don't know what else what other restaurants are happening now in Bed Stuy, but your restaurant is certainly Bed Stuy is coming oh, up, right? I mean, oh, yeah, there's, it's crazy. there's a lot of stuff happening. there. Michael right Sarah now. just opened a taco truck there. That's pretty exciting. Did he really? Yeah, and it's actually amazing. It's called Chilos. It's really delicious. Oh, Shout out to them. Good. I've had like six know. meals there in the past month. Michael Sarah, the actor. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Have yeah, you yeah. met him? No, not yet. Is he at the taco truck? I don't know. I, I, I mean, my radar is generally not on. Like, I'm not out hunting for Michael Sarah, but I'm going to. I'm gonna uh, say that I think a good collaboration might be you and him doing a rap record together about tacos. All right, let's put that out there. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Well, I, it, I found going out there. It's definitely a destination. Uh, it was uh, for me to to. A destination restaurant for me that I hope to get back to soon because the food was amazing and you do such interesting dishes. I remember, was it the fish head? Oh, fish and chips. Yeah. Fish and chips. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Our fish and well, it's not normal fish and chips, but yeah, it's a, a whole fried fish that is somewhere between fish and chips and like a Jamaican uh, escovich. Uh, escovich, they generally fry a fish and then pour uh, some sort of like pickling agent, vinegar, or something sour on top. We do a similar thing, but with uh, Japanese bent yuzu. So. You have, like, three or four different cultures in one dish. But I don't know. To us, it's not really cultures. It's just food is food. Has that been on the menu for a while? That's been on since day before day one, I, actually. I, I actually have I had that a while back, but I remember really liking it. Yeah, that was, uh, what's the chips? Just regular uh, yeah, fries? Just, um, yeah, fries. But I, I get a lot of flack. People are they're polarizing fries. I, I like to think of them as boardwalk fries. They're very thick cut. Right. They're not really designed to get super crisp. They're really designed to be somewhere between, like, I don't know potato chips and or, I'm, I'm sorry, French fries and like uh, home fries with vinegar. Right. Kind of. Sounds great. Yeah, it was great. Cheers. Cheers to them. So, how did Daniel? How did you get into food photography? Were you doing weddings first, and then you kind of just started taking pictures of your dishes at home? Yeah, I started. Um, I was kind of shooting weddings and food kind of from the start at the same time, just uh, working for yeah, like you just like friends. Uh, and then I started doing some small assignments for the uh, Brooklyn paper. And they started sending me on food assignments. And, you know, I was just shooting whatever and a lot of my own stuff, like if I went to a restaurant or if I had something at home. And I just kept kind of improving the craft and getting better and better and working for different publications, eventually moving to Eater and New York Times. And uh, I freelance for a few other publications here and there, um, like you were saying before. Punch is one of them I've been working a lot with recently. And then I started doing cookbooks, and, you know, uh, cookbooks is kind of a natural progression for food photography. It's, it seems like it's kind of the top of the pyramid. Uh, there's usually larger budgets, and there's more, you know, there's more publicity and, and press attached to it than, say, one single small shoot for a publication. So I've been trying to do more and more books, and, and that's where I'm at right now, yeah. What was the first book you did, cookbook? Um, the first... Uh, that's a good question. I shot a bunch of images for a Tim Ferriss book um, called The 4-Hour Chef that came out. But around that time, I was shooting a few things for a few different books. Ivan Raman was one of my first big books that came out. It's and a big uh, one. Robert Simonson's Old Fashioned. Um, I've really, I'd say in the past three years, started doing more cookbook stuff. Um, maybe the past year, it's been a, a few more, and it's kind of rolling along, and I'm having more you know, meetings and trying to get some more stuff booked right now 
Well, it's fun. Yeah. Well, it seems like fun. So how did you guys come to terms to do a book together? Well, uh, so the folks at uh, Flatiron, which is part of uh, Macmillan, uh, and uh, my buddy uh, Will and Kara over there, uh, the first thing that they did right about getting me to do a cookbook with them was they didn't invite me to their office. They took me out for whiskey. Hmm. And uh, I actually say in the cookbook that if you don't... uh, (laughs) If you aren't liking or revolted by your guests after two whiskeys, then you should probably have more whiskey. But um, anyway, we had plenty of whiskey, and uh, we hit it off really well. And then we agreed, okay, we'll, we'll do this cookbook. And uh, we kind of hashed it out. And then when it came time to decide on a photographer, they listed a bunch of people. And then they said, Daniel. And I said, okay, Daniel, that's it. And they were like, well, should we talk about this? And I said, no, get like get him. And they said, we're going to get him. And <laughs> that's it. And um, They got you. Yeah, and it was it's great. I mean, it was uh, it's super collaboration. I I think it's it's kind of like Dre and Eminem, um, or or something more relevant. I don't know what what's relevant now, but uh, it's it's great. I think we're both uh, pretty super at at our own crafts, and I think when our powers combine, um, it's it's pretty monumental. Uh, Also, Daniel, I know very quickly understood my vision for what I was I was hoping for, and uh, he's able to execute it. Man, I mean, it's it's incredible. When I look at the shots, I'm like get a little misty. Thank you. Yeah, well. Yeah, I, I mean, I I haven't seen the final book, but just looking at the images, I I think it's going to be a really nice project. Yeah, and, and it's it was, drastically different from any other. It's photography definitely different. Out there, right? Yeah, and you know, one of the things that Justin came to me and said, he was like, I don't want, I don't really want it to look like every other cookbook, and I don't want the same plating uh, as as you see in most books. So we actually used like. We used a lot of acrylics. Uh, yeah, no plates. <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah. Did I mean, we look use through there. Plates? We used like one or two. One or two, yeah. Uh, but mostly, it's done on, uh, on just surfaces. Colors. Yeah, yeah on, surfaces. On colored surfaces and. And the reasoning behind that for me was, I get annoyed when I look at a like any sort of standard food photography, and it's served on a plate that I cannot acquire, uh, or with a napkin that I do not have, and I don't use napkin rings and. I don't have gorgeous spreads, but I do understand that certain colors of plate or background will complement the food more. And so we just got a, a bunch of colored acrylic and put the food right on there. I mean, you don't see it in the little thing that we have in front of us, but when we started plating, plating soups and they looked like they spilled, I mean, nobody's done that before. Soup's in a bowl, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I'm not surprised knowing your personality and, and your style, which... You you I guess take risks and you do your you do your own thing and it it's um, and knowing Daniel's photography it's just a it's it's beautiful I'm just looking at these images in this pamphlet and I'm in awe because yeah, the, the chocolate cake looks like uh, the Titanic doesn't it it I does mean, the little it's, reflection it's reflecting in it. off I guess so it's re- reflecting off the table uh, acrylic plastic. yeah just acrylic plastic it's amazing. I, I want this right now. <laughs> Good. Mission yeah, we've gotten, and the the publisher seemed pretty happy with. I think the just the whole book overall. So we're we got pretty excited about it too. I'm looking forward to seeing the actual yeah final yeah. thing in my hands. That's when you when you have a right. book that's finished in your hands. That's when it's really like hits you. You can You're smell like, it. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we what? also uh, we did no styling in this. I mean. You saw how kind of adamant I was about. Yeah. Yeah. Very. Very. I mean, it's very. I guess it's very raw in a way. Uh, I think the food looks beautiful, though. No pun. Yeah. It's like an egg. Right, right. He's cracking ra- an egg in the raw cover. Egg raw in the egg. Cover, right. It's pretty raw. It's uh, It's just, I think it's a, a little more um, risky, I guess, than your typical uh, photography in, in a cookbook. And I think it still came out really beautiful, and it looks cool. So I'm really happy with it. Same. Yeah, yeah, I think there's an incredible amount, uh, both from uh, Daniel's side and my side, of uh, honesty in the book, which you don't generally associate like honesty with a cookbook. But, um, you know, there's no styling. Uh, we shot in natural light. Uh, we shot at my restaurant. We shot the food the second it was ready. And like you said, no plates, no napkins. I don't think. Yeah, there's no embellishments. So it's, so like it's very actually, much- you know, that that's pretty challenging because when you're, when you're normally shooting stuff like that, you're using all of those props uh, to help kind of enhance the image, to enhance the the composition and the frame, so it's a little more of a challenge. Yeah, it was. But then how, you, then how long did rise. it take to <laughs> photograph the book? That's a good question. Uh, weeks. Well, I mean, we did one day a week. Yeah, well, for like six, maybe seven like weeks. 
No, not that long. Really? <laughs> well, no, like one day, one day you're per week. You still are oh, friends. Oh, one, one day per week. Yeah, I, I'd say I, uh, a total amount of shooting days was maybe like eight to ten days, something, something like that. that. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't shoot every day in a row. We uh, we shot because just both of our schedules were kind of crazy at the time. True. So whenever we uh, we d- you know we set up in advance, but over like a month period, we would hit like a couple days here and there. It was fun too. Uh, my I locked myself in the we called it the culinary meth lab uh, in my apartment with uh, my uh, friend, co-conspirator, helper uh, Aaron, and so we would often be finishing the recipes moments before they were shot. And like, well, like a day, which is a moment in the grand scheme of things. Um, whereas most cookbooks, you know, the, it's a recipe that's been sitting on a shelf for a while that gets put into the cookbook. This was all done very like on the fly, kind of a la minute. And so there's a certain, uh, I feel like there's a certain energy that you can detect from it. Like, you know, when a cup of coffee is sat out for even 10 minutes, it, it doesn't have any movement to it. It's not alive anymore. And I feel like the, the images, the food, the recipes, they're all still very fresh. No dust. They're live. No dust. I like that. Yeah. I like alaminute too. Actually, I'm going to try to use that more. Oh, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's excellent. A good, it's a good one. Well, I want to find out more about these chapters and and what the the concept of the book. So we're going to do that when we come back. We're going to take a little break. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. And the break song is called "Chillin' Dot Bat" by Rectech. Stay tuned. Visit a farm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Come by Escapemaker's Yellow Tent and Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. Better yet, attend escapemaker.com's fourth local food and travel expo on May 2nd at Brooklyn Borough Hall featuring destinations in Brooklyn, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Sample cheese, maple products, beer, and wine from Brooklyn and beyond, and free apples courtesy of the New York Apple Association. Plus, there will be Marketplace sponsored by Taste New York and plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. The expo is free for everyone, but you must pre-register at escapemaker.com to attend. Tickets are limited. See you there. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Justin Warner and Daniel Krieger, who collaborated on Justin's first cookbook, The Laws of Cooking and How to Break Them. So I want to talk about these laws of cooking and how to break them. I mean, how did you come up with the laws and how did you break them? Well, that's weird. Uh, so <laughs> what, it was a strange process and I'm still uh, kind of in shock. The uh, So the folks at, at Flatiron... Uh, when we were talking over those whiskeys, we determined that people want to know why and how of of food. Not so much just instruction recipes. They they want to get something and learn something. And so they said, you know, foie gras donut, for example. I mean, why on earth did you make that? I said, well, I mean, it's a long story, but um, I, I knew it would go together. I mean, it's kind of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they're like, wait a minute. Peanut butter, you're telling me that a foie gras donut is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I said, yeah, I mean, so is pizza. They're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Like, it's about fruit and fat and having some canvas to spread it on. I mean, the foie gras is fat. Peanut butter is fat. Cheese is fat. Uh, tomatoes are fruit. Jellies are fruit. PB&J, you know, foie gras donut. It, it's all there. P- pizza. So I determined that the law of peanut butter and jelly is something that is true and something that exists and it is real. And if you have uh, fruit, fat, canvas, you'll be fine. And so, yeah, you that, explain that really, really well, and it makes you. sense. Yeah, so like another law is uh, the coffee, cream, and sugar law, which is kind of the idea. If you have something bitter, uh, add something creamy, add something sweet, uh, or you could just say fatty and sweet. So, I mean, if you think about coffee, 
uh, or raw chocolate. You know, cacao is, is bitter as all get out. Um, it's one of the bitterest things that there is. Uh, but the second you add sugar and milk to it, it becomes milk chocolate. So that's kind of, you know, just a simple example. But, you know, if you look at, like, bitter greens, most of the time people add some sort of oily, fatty component and something that's subtly sweet to it. I mean, that's what makes great greens. Little things, you know. Anyway, there are, there are 11 laws. And so we, we just kind of tried to figure out, look at dishes and look around the world and see what is governing all of this. What is the system? And then from there, uh, every recipe shows you how a dish exists in the law, but then I show you how to break the law, which is to introduce something that uh, seems to be slightly discordant. And the fun thing about that is that's where I think that you get those next level, like Michelin, Top Chef, that, that next level dish that separates the home cook, where you can see how to make racket that is a masterpiece. It's like, like Mahler or, or Orf or Metallica. You know, it sounds like racket, but it's Mahler actually Metallica. Yeah, you know, it's the heavy metal of uh-huh. two different centuries. <laughs> you know, I know. Yeah, I, it's. I think that most people cook. I think they follow a recipe and they're afraid to take risks. And this book sounds like something that's going to give people uh, a little help in 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 going away from what they're traditionally used to. I mean, everyone knows peanut butter and jelly, but. The foie gras donut that just, no one, I don't know if anyone else would have thought of that. Well, that's why they hired me, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I mean, you have in here, so there's a law of bagel and locks. Yeah, that's about smoky things. Of course. And there's a law of the hot dog. Yeah, that's about, um, it's basically, it boils down to it's about salt. But when you have cured meats, cured meats enhance the flavors around them. You know, when you have like a, a hot dog, you put a bunch of stuff on it because the hot dog makes all those other components taste better. Uh, it, the same with like, uh, for example, I have ramen in that chapter. Ramen broth is like salty and that makes noodles taste better. It makes the egg taste better. Egg's good on its own, but salty things, cured meats, uh, broths, they're all, um, to quote the movie Tampopo, they provide like animation to the world around them. They make things alive. It's not about the hot dog. It's about the way the hot dog touches the world. So that, that condiments. chapter. Yeah, condiments. Yeah, essentially. But like if you think of cured meats and broths, they're actually almost the condiments of food. If you reduce a broth down and down and down, you have jus. Jus is a condiment, you know? Does that make sense? You know. Yeah, it makes complete sense. Okay. Whew, I get nervous. No, it does. I just <laughs> think I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of you and, and this whole concept. Um, when... When you're shooting the book, Daniel, were, which chapters were the most challenging? Was it harder to do uh, um, a hot I, dog ca- chapter, or it what did varied? What we for the hot dog shot? Um, well, we did a lot of things. I mean, I don't know. You I, seem that you made the, it look effortless, no the, matter what. I mean, the the as we were talking about before, soup is difficult to shoot on its own. But then when you try to shoot soup on a flat, on a flat surface. surface, it gets really even more complicated. Well, I don't know how you shoot. Unless it's like a really thick, it's, like chowder it's that's really. Uh, I don't the, know. You're gonna have to find. The I book, don't know. Uh, buy the book to find out how we shot it. I guess. But yeah, I mean, I you catch so. it. You catch it in movement. The reason that I was so obsessed with that is that as a fine dining waiter, we poured all of our soups tableside, and the magic to me is in the first like half second when the soup hits the bowl right. and it begins to spill and interact with the ingredients. And that's when the soup looks the most alive and you're salivating the most and your eyes are popping and you're ready to eat that damn soup. And so I feel like a lot of soup pictures have no movement. You know, they don't show, they, they don't, they don't make it feel alive. I, I, I mean, what he said, I'm, I'm not going to say anything for us time. Cause I'm just going to listen to him. That, that was perfect. I totally agree with that about the soup. There's a. I think the coolest soup photos are are the action shots where you, especially if you have like a white bowl and maybe there's some greens in it or some, you know, sometimes there's food in it and then they're pouring it around. It's that moment where it's kind of about, you know, it's about to happen, and that's like kind of what you want to capture. And that always looks the best to me in a photo. Some of my favorite soup photos are those kind of action shots where it's interacting with the plate and with the other food that's there. But yeah, he said that very well. <laughs> it's also the best way to serve soup. I mean, especially, well, yeah, it's the period. You keep all the the like solid matter in the bowl at whatever temperature it's supposed to be. If it's a cold soup, you keep the soup cold. You keep the bowl cold. But surface area is very important. When you have a, a big pot of something, uh, you know, or a big 
what have you, or a big bowl, it cools down faster. So, or it warms up faster depending on the soup. So by having it in a smaller container, you're, you're able to control what happens to the soup more. I'm learning a lot. And I did, I dabbled in several jobs before I landed doing PR and now this radio show. But um, I was an assistant food stylist for a couple more magazine shoots a way long time ago. And there was a prop stylist and a food, the food stylist and the photographers and, and the editors. And there was just a, a huge team of people going into each. Did you like doing that? I did. I really, I really did. And I had a moment I thought it was my career. Wow. But, but I realized plating... I didn't have the eye for plating. I, I, I could do it, but I found some people more naturally just put everything out in the plate and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. And it was more challenging for me. So I don't think that's, I don't think it was my strength. And I, have, I think chefs like yourself and both of you, you have an eye for that plating and the lighting, which is why you do what you do. Yeah. 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 Well, I think so. When you have creative ideas, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I also think there's a time and place for plop. You know what I mean? Like, I like, (laughs) I don't, I don't, you know, I like to show my love with hugs, not tweezers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Excellent. So that's. It's a good quote. That is a good quote. Yeah. I don't like to be (laughs) hugged with tweezers for sure. Right. Well, I don't know. It depends on the type of hug, I guess. (laughs) what you're into but yeah I, I just just i don't have time for that and i i also don't feel like it's there's an emotional connection that way do you when, like eating tweezer food when you're out on your own yeah i mean it it really no is the answer i mean there are times when i've i've served tweezer food i've consumed tweezer food i've sold tweezer food but um <laughs> yeah i mean ultimately you know like would i rather just like have a, a giant thing of like noodles you know, yes, I always, I think. Do you like tweezer food? I like variety. Tweezer food, variety. Yeah, so every once in a while I do, uh, and I appreciate it, and I think it can be beautiful and tasting menus and all of that, um, but I couldn't have it every day. Uh, plating food like with tweezers like that, I, I like it because what it means is means that the person is completely obsessed with how it visually looks. Like, so, you know... Usually, like, if you're coming in on, like, a macro shot on something like that, it usually looks really cool because everything's so delicate and fine. But I like both things. I mean, you know, I, I like it's. I mean, that's the whole range, really, is from the plop, as you <laughs> put it, called it. Yeah. to tweezer food. It's a whole, that's, like, the gamut. And, I mean, there's everything in between. I guess maybe, like, pizzas in between. But, I, I mean, I, I, I like that. Each thing has its own challenge to photograph and shoot, so I, I, I'm kind of into the whole, the yeah. whole spectrum. And let's talk for a minute about your Instagram. Instagram. Wow. Speaking of fire, this room's made out of wood. Be careful. You bring up his Instagram. I looked up the numbers because <laughs> Daniel has 124,000 followers on Instagram. Um, I have about 1,500, and you have close to 5,000. But Justin, on Twitter, you you killed both of us with your 26,500 wow. followers wow. versus we were in the two, 3,000 range. That's a range. hard number to get on Twitter, too. Yeah, really... no, so both of you are really strong on social media. Uh, how does that build your brand? How is that, uh, I mean, how did you get to that many followers? Um, I mean, I've been working pretty hard on my Instagram account for like about the past two years, so I really started putting a lot of effort towards it. Um, it's a combination of things from well one thing was i was uh, put on the suggested user list so but getting to that point you need to kind of be putting out certain type of imagery um you have to use instagram in a specific way and so i was put on that list but then i started getting put on a lot of um like food photographers to follow lists or people in new york city who are photographers to follow so and once you start hitting those lists somebody else sees the list and adds you to their list and that's a big way and then, you know, word of mouth and traveling a lot. One thing that I've noticed that uh, it's actually, I, I really noticed this with Sean Brock. I kind of remember I kept he- seeing his name pop up and hearing about him. And I thought one of the things that he was doing that other chefs don't do as much was traveling. He was traveling all over the place and going cooking with all these people and hanging out. And I was like, I, I was like, I want to do that. I want to travel more because you're, you get exposed to different new audiences all the time. So I started traveling a lot, and as I traveled, I would meet other Instagrammers, and a lot yeah. of them had big audiences too. And I would, you know, at some point, just like 
we would be photographing each other and and like sharing kind of uh you know each other's photo streams and i picked up a lot of people through that but it's a combination of just a lot of things but mostly it's doing the work it's it's paying attention to it and posting and trying to keep the, your quality high and like you were saying in your intro kind of having a voice and picking something and going with it and you know believing in it you kind of have to you have to have your own voice uh so you know i've been trying yeah. to have a pretty pretty consistent like uh, quality of imagery that i'm putting up and i guess that's my voice your photos they're amazing thank they, you they do they inspire me to be a better photographer thank you <laughs> yeah i mean honestly if i had to if someone said okay food instagram one follower for the rest of your life like if i was on a desert island looking at only one feed it would probably be i mean it would definitely be yours thank you. wow. seriously probably. though there is no other yeah i don't think there's a, a, a better food follow on instagram i really don't i look at it all the time I mean, really i mean i appreciate that there's some amazing food photographers and and publications it's very interesting watching what's happening all of these publications are starting to put so much effort and and time and into their instagram accounts because it's becoming like the uh, food media is becoming so visual uh that it's just becoming such a large component of anyone who's involved in it right now i think i mean yeah no it's changing absolutely it's becoming just so much more visual uh especially in the industry we are in with food yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. When people ask for recommendations at the restaurant, I'll tell them the fish and chips is the most Instagrammed dish. Is it really? Yeah. And sure enough, they bite and then they buy it, and that's it. And the first thing they do, they put it on Instagram. <laughs> you Absolutely. Should, you should write that on the menu: the most Instagram dish. Yeah, I mean, it's a. Uh, you, I, I would probably. That's funny. If I was at a restaurant and it said. This is the most Instagram dish. I'd probably order that dish because I'm sure I'm going to want to Instagram it. Yeah, oh, which good. is, I mean, that's it's flattering, but at the same time, it would be nice. If, like this is the most tasty dish. You know, <laughs> right. well, maybe you're ordering food because you're liking it and like you're ready a, to. And consume that's an it. interesting question that raises an interesting point: is uh, are you going to start to see restaurants who maybe don't have as good food, but the light in the room and the visual of their food and their plates and their plateware is so much better? that that's where people are going and that's how people will start choosing a restaurant like imagine if you had two restaurants and they both had the equally the same food they're both selling italian food say and they were both really good and one of them had really great plates and and beautiful food and they knew how to plate like they put a lot of time and effort into it and it was a beautiful room People who are like like taking photos of their food, they're going to gravitate towards that restaurant in a heartbeat. They'll be like, yeah, I like that other place too, but I yeah. want to take photos of my food. And you see, not everyone, luckily not everyone's doing it because it would get a little overwhelming. Well, but. but I learned a trick last night that you probably know of, but uh, to put a the white cloth napkin over your flashlight have your friend do that so your yeah. picture comes out better in, in in darker restaurants it's called the kate crater lighting method of, well it to, works to light your food it with multiple and flashlights I, I did it i was i was the the lighting stylist for my friend and her photo and she and it came out good we just yeah her photos came out better than mine because i thought it was silly for us to both switch take the photos the switch the flashlight just was but um her photos were much better than mine. And I wanted to hear just you, your uh, Justin, your Twitter account because it's 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 huge. Um, how did yeah? How did you get that following? How, how often do you use Twitter? Is that now is Instagram becoming as important to you as Twitter? Or you still love your twi- uh, Twitter feed like kind yeah, of exclusively. I'll, I'll be like you know, <laughs> tweeting from the grave. Uh, <laughs> I love Twitter. I, I I'll tell you there. I have a couple good things going for the Twitter that I, I really enjoy on a daily basis. Um, well, first off, Twitter, I got lucky. Um, I was one of the first Food Network Star seasons to incorporate a hashtag on the screen. Uh-huh. And so I have certain methods that I use. Uh, w- and back then, I used to call it harvesting followers. And so I would go around and I'd favorite every single tweet that had the hashtag Food Network Star. And then once that, I, then I took the hashtag off and just used search parameters. And then I did everybody that was talking about Food Network Star. And then after that, I started to type in just like the one-liners that I had during the show that people for some weird reason would put on Twitter and then boom, and they favorite, would like favorite, retweet, favorite, retweet it. And then they follow me. Oh, that's cool. I love Twitter. It's amazing. Okay. We could keep talking and talking, but we're going to take a little break and we're going to do my speed round game and talk some industry news. So this is all in the industry and heritage radio network. 
world? This is Mandy Fresh, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Oh, Kickstarter. Yeah, we're going to talk about the Kickstarter. Yeah, we got to mention Kickstarter. Oh, we are. We're on. <laughs> I'm always on. You are always on. I'm like partially on. I'm dim. I'm dim. <laughs> I'm, the light's dimmed a little bit most of the time. <laughs> That's kind of nice, yeah. ambiance. <laughs> yeah, I'm, bomb- I'm ambiance. It makes sense. Okay, so those tuning in now, them, this is Sherry Bayer. My guests are Justin Warner and Daniel Krieger, and it's time for my speed round game. So what this is is I name two things, and you just pick your preference. It's very easy. Okay. Here, here we go. Eat in or eat out? Out. Out. Wine, beer, or cocktail? Mm. Beer. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Eh. Beer. Yeah, beer. Can I say cocktail, wine, beer in that order? Order, sure. My game does not have any rules. Cool. (laughs) Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Tasting menu. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Ugh. Oh, man. I'm going to catch hell no matter what. Um, uh, Salary. (laughs) (laughs) I was at Dirt Candy last night, and she's doing salary. She's doing all inclusive. All inclusive. How yeah. did it feel? Well, it felt good in the sense when the bill came, and I realized that was I was I always think, oh, well, I'm going to pay, be paying X more, and then I was like, oh, that's it, we're done. You know, all think, inclusive. Can I go elaborate a little bit on the answer? Sure. Or actually, this might be skirting the answer, but I think in the future. You're not going to ever take your wallet out. It's just that's just how it's going to be, pretty much everywhere. Or you'll swipe something, and everything will be taken care of. And I kind of like that because I always find things like that. I don't like peripheral stuff. I like focusing on what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in holding credit cards and money and cash and counting and math. Countings for suckers. No, I'm just kidding. I, I do true. think that, well, we'll see. And math, yeah. We'll see what it. happens. We'll see what happens. It's, an, it's a good question, though. Very good. How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. <laughs> You're confident about oh, that yeah. one. Uh, I'm a big guy. I like a big plate. <laughs> okay. A few more for Justin. Lipstick or Burt's Bees? Burt's Bees. Yeah, I picked that up. From something I read. Yeah, everybody thinks I'm wearing lipstick. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, who knows? Must have a little reddish tint. Waiting for know. the endorsement deal. Okay, maybe maybe they're listening. <laughs> okay, for Daniel, food photography or wedding photography? Uh, food photography. I'm actually not really doing many weddings anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good I just to know. got engaged, man. That might change. Well, maybe that'll. You did. The celebrity. The, the occasional Thanks. celebrity wedding I will do. Oh, that's charitable. <laughs> Cheese plate or dessert? Ooh, both, man. Do I have to choose? Okay, cheese plate. <laughs> I'm going cheese plate, too, there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Manhattan or Brooklyn? Brooklyn. That's not even a question. Brooklyn. <laughs> Excellent. That was the game. Wow, well, that was good. Did you, how did we do? I think you did really well. What's, I always find it the interesting. Prize? The prize is to talk industry news. Okay, and and sweet. It's a, it's yeah. a good prize. Yeah. Uh, so... Trying to think, we we have a few articles picked out. New York Times Santina was reviewed today by Pete Wells, two stars. Yeah, in the man, packing the, district. Those Theresi boys, they they just can't quit. They're yeah, like the fire. daft punk of of New York right now. <laughs> they they work hard. It's a, they. I mean, we all work hard, but they are they're moving very fast at a frenetic pace and and constantly delivering. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Santina, I've eaten there twice. I've had excellent meals. I've been there once and it was great. I love that uh, chichina dish. Yes, the delicious. The yeah. chickpea pancake, mm-hmm. delicious. That's like a must order. And even the crudite is just this absolutely gorgeous presentation, and it's just it's kind of nice sometimes eating healthy food like that in a fancy restaurant setting. So. Well, I was thinking it has great natural light. I don't know if you shot there. Yeah, it does have pretty good natural light. Um, I did. I've done a couple of shoots there. I did the Ryan Sutton reviewed it as well for Eater. I photographed that, and I was pretty happy with the light and how the photos came out. Again, and yeah. it's beautiful food. There's great colors in that place too. Yeah, he called it. It opened in January, and it was summer in January. I can see that. That's a good call. Yeah. I wish I had photographed that one for the Times too. I mean, I ch- I would shoot do multiple shoots there. 
Yeah. Well, and another thing in Grub Street, they announced this: uh, the best chefs all swap kitchens is a story that's Galeen's Galeen Galinas Galinas Galinas. Yeah, this they they do these events. I know they did Wiley Dufresne's surprise party. So they're planning this extravagant event where they're taking some of the best chefs and and switching restaurants on July 9th all around the world. It's Wee. interesting. I don't yeah? know. No? I, I get doesn't. Sometimes I think a lot of this stuff is like so good old boy Ouroboros, and maybe I say that because I'm not one of them. You know, maybe if I was in the club, I would be all excited about it, too. But sometimes I just feel like there's so much back scratching. And it just gets old to me. This I is- I love having my back scratch. But when I say that, I mean, literally, I, I'm really into having my back scratch. It you can ask nice Jordana. Thing. It's like one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> I do. I, I make, When we sit and watch TV, I sit on the floor. And she sits there and she scratches my back with a golf tee, actually. Oh, wow. Uh, nobody knows that, actually. This, wait, we're off the air right now, right? <laughs> golf tees. <laughs> Like and that's it. all we're going to talk about that story. I couldn't. I could not have done I, that better. Well, wait, I, I mean, perfect. I, I would probably eat at one of those dinners. I mean, all those chefs. I'm yeah. sure the food's going to be pretty ridiculous. Hopefully, I, I uh, would, if, if I, I get invited too. to one of those dinners, I'll probably show up. I would up. too. I'm waiting to <laughs> see what the 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 charges and and how it it's really is going to work because I, I think it will be very pricey. It's a. Um, I, I like Grub Street a lot. By the way, I know you mentioned that was on Grub Street. Um, it is going to be an amazing amount of coordination, so I am interested just to see how how it's going to be pulled off. But uh, yeah, yeah, me too. What was the other? The third. Oh, we're, we're we're short on time, so the third was just Tartine. How they're expanding and they're partnering with Blue Bottle Coffee. Have you eaten at Tartine? No, I haven't. But I have had Blue Bottle Coffee, so good. Expansion is always good. Yeah, and I think I saw someone tweet that it's going to form the longest line ever in the world because both those places already have long lines. Nothing New York loves more than lines. True, so it will do do very well. And I heard that it might open first in Brooklyn. I think Eater had that. I think think everything should open up first in Brooklyn. (laughs) Do you you want to know one of my other ideas real quick? I think Brooklyn should secede from... Uh, New, York? New York City and yeah, become okay. its own city. I'm into that. Yeah, you down for that? Yeah, absolutely. Defend yeah. Brooklyn, absolutely. Def- <laughs> defend Brooklyn. There might be, it might be like a civil war, or is that, what would it be? I don't know. Yeah, F- fighting Manhattan and the other boroughs. I think we're going to, I think we can win. Right. Queens Wait, is kind of tough. Have all the as, long as, we, as long as we can take Bunker and Metropolitan Avenue south, I'm okay with it. I, I think Manhattan, there's, there's a lot of wimps there. Mm. I, I'd be nervous if Staten Island and uh, Queens is, I think Queens is going to fight pretty hard. But. All right, this wimp is going to call this conversation <laughs> off. We're going to take one more break, come back and do my solo dining experience. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. Hi, how are you? My name is Andrew WK. They say when things are very delicious, it must be Heritage Radio. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience of the week. This week, I went to Norita. Here's the rundown. The location, 128 First Avenue at St. Mark's Place in Manhattan's East Village. The concept, a casual Hawaiian-inspired restaurant. The menu has strong ties to Japanese, Korean, and Filipino cuisines, inspired by the chef growing up in Hawaii and living in Japan. Who are the chefs and the chef and owner? Well, it's Chef Chung Chow and partners Gerald San Jose and Jim An, who all previously worked for Thomas Keller's Per Se. Why did I go? Because I heard great things about this new place, and there aren't that many Hawaiian restaurants in New York City. My experience. Well, I was in the hood as I attended a wonderful fundraiser called Love Saves the East Village at Barbara Sibley's La Palapa. So afterwards, I went in for an early dinner at the bar. The barman, Benjamin, and Gerald, who was at the door, recognized me and took great care of me. What did I get? 
I had the Big Eye Tuna Pokey with macadamia nuts, pickled jalapeno, and seaweed, and the garlic shrimp over rice with pineapple. Plus, Gerald sent out their truffle taro chips. My take. I love the tuna pokey. It had a spicy heat, and the shrimp were delicious, very garlicky. And the dish, I found out, was inspired by the shrimp trucks in North Shore of Oahu, which I failed to make it to on my trip to Hawaii. So I appreciate this, this dish even more. And the chips were addictive. The scene, downtown locals, perfect for solo diners, dates, and friends. Interesting tidbit, the name Narita means playground in Korean, indicating a playful menu of experimentation. Personal fun fact, my friend Carla Siegel of Agency, who is my guest on episode 48, worked on their graphic design. She did a fabulous job. The cost, $39, not including tax and tip. Would I go back for sure? Website, narita.com. Now. Time for the final question. Well, we have to, we, and I have to get, well, before we do the final question, let's do my questions from last week. So we'll try and do the speed roundish because we're, we're, we're over our time. So I had on Joe DiStefano of Chopsticks and Marrow, and he asked Justin, do you have a favorite restaurant in Queens? And if so, what is it? Uh, I, I love Bunker. I love that place. It's really good. Haven't been there yet. It's definitely worth your time and energy. I think that's in Queens. To be honest, I, I don't get there a whole lot. Um, every now and then, I'll, I'll meet up with some people at Sanford's. Uh, it's like a 24-hour diner, super chill. But like, you can get like, uh, you know, tuna tuna poke or something like that in, in, at midnight. You know, at like four in the morning. Super. That's why I love New York. I like Bunker a lot as well. Okay, it's really good. Gotta go. And for Daniel. What are your favorite photography apps for smartphone? Um, I think that Snapseed, they just had an update. It's really nice. I like it's a, Snapseed. It's a really uh, comprehensive editing program. Uh, Instagram has pretty nice filters and, and things you know built in as well that you can just use if you want to just do something quickly. And I actually have my own filter now uh, through a company called Prime, P-R-I-I-M-E, so I have three filters. One's called Fair, one's called Cocktail, and one's called Ganache. And awesome. So they can be used. They can really be used for anything, not just food. But they're uh, kind of they're based on my style of editing and colors and enhancement. And so yeah. hmm. good to they're know. I'm gonna 90, check that out. Ninety nine cents each, something like that. So, okay. Yeah, sure. Excellent. Try one out. <laughs> now I need you guys, or if you could. Ask a question for Marissa Ann. She's the founder and CEO of Plate Plus Decanter, which is in, she's an event producer specializing culinary and wine events. Ask a question for Marissa. Have you ever had a tent blow away? (laughs) Okay. Anything else? Um... That's a his question is yeah, amazing. His, I don't know how you're going to top that. <laughs> his question just kind of it like stumped me for, for my question. <laughs> well, we'll just what's, ask her uh, one. What's the most amount of people you can do an event for, and you f- and still feel comfortable about giving them a high level of attention and service? Excellent. Okay. I, I really want to hear the answer to the tent question. Well, you'll have to tune in next <laughs> yeah. week. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. This is awesome. Yeah. This has been fun. I wish we could go on. I've been talking with chef and TV personality Justin Warner and photographer Daniel Krieger, who collaborated on The Laws of Cooking and How to Break Them. It's coming out in October. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Justin is at eatfellowhumans, at do underscore or underscore dine. His website is doordinebk.com. Daniel is at smoothdude on Twitter and at Daniel Krieger on Instagram. His website is danielkrieger.com. And you have nycfoodphotographer.com. Yes. Did I get all that right? Nailed it. Sounds pretty perfect. Awesome. Okay. You guys know my social media stuff, so I'll skip that. You can find our shows on Heritage Radio. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Heritage Radio, we have our website rebuild project going on. We're on Kickstarter. Donate. 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 donate, donate. Yeah. I love these guys. So, yes. Keep Heritage Radio going and moving and having a great website. Because it's so chill back here. I like being here. It's so chill. We need your support. So, please check that out. 
Thanks to Jack in doing my engineering, I'm, and Daniel, and Justin. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4, another live show. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 